0: Well, since I'm a little surprised to be here, let's surprise you a little bit too. How many of you remember pop quizzes in school? Some of you have pop quizzes. We're going to have pop quiz this morning. Here's your pop quiz to start things off with. And this pop quiz purpose is like any pop quiz, find out how you're doing. Uh, If you're in a math class, you have a pop quiz to see how you're doing at math. Well, we're in Christian class, so we're going to have a pop quiz to see how you're doing at Christianity. And we'll just go back to the easy, basic stuff. We'll go back to when the church was brand new, when there were brand new Christians. And in Acts chapter 2, it says there were a bunch of brand new Christians. And verse 42 says here's what they did. So here's your pop quiz. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon everyone, and uh, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, by selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all uh, as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, there's a lot of sermon series in there. We could spend a long time looking at those few verses, but let's just pick one out of there, uh, where it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. So that's your pop quiz. How are you doing on the fellowship? Well, to answer that, of course, we've got to figure out what fellowship is. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Uh, One misconception maybe, and that's not totally wrong, but I think it's a misconception. Uh, We tend to use the term fellowship in a pretty limited way or maybe kind of a loose way. Uh, We call it fellowship every time we get together, as long as there's some food there, as long as there's coffee there. We say we're going to meet together before class for fellowship. Uh, We're going to stay after church for fellowship. Uh, If we got some food and coffee involved, uh, it's fellowship time. We advertise a church picnic or a class get-together or something, and we advertise it with fun, food, and fellowship. Well, that is fellowship in a way, but I want to get a little deeper than that today, so let's call that kind of a limited misconception of what fellowship is. Fellowship's much more than that, I think. Another way to look at fellowship, and I will mention this just briefly, but I don't want to spend our time there. Uh, There is a sense in which fellowship is officially sanctioning someone. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9 is where we get that. Uh, Paul wrote that when he became a Christian, when he was converted, and he finally got together with some of the other apostles... He reported on that and he said, James and John and Peter gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Okay, so here was a new Christian who had been an anti-Christian and the apostles, James and John and Peter said, okay, we sanction what you're doing. We will have the right hand of fellowship extended to you, which means we approve of what you're doing. Okay, And we still do that today. Just last week, the elders got up here and prayed with the Vicks. The Vicks are changing missions, but we were expressing, same way John, James and John and Peter did, that we have fellowship with them in that. that we sanction, <clears throat> excuse me, we sanction what they're doing. So there is a a way to use fellowship in that term. We have fellowship uh, with that person or that group or whatever. And perhaps that's easiest to understand if we look at the opposite of it. The opposite of it is not having fellowship with someone. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is where it's said the clearest. Paul said, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now that doesn't mean you can't associate with unbelievers or we'd be in a real mess because we're out in the world and we have to associate with unbelievers. We have to associate with wicked people. But what Paul says is don't be partnered up with them. Don't be yoked together with them. Don't have that official sanction kind of fellowship with them. So those are a couple of ways that fellowship can be used, but uh, I just want to get those out of the way before we talk about what I think is more important on the pop quiz of how you're doing in the fellowship. So let's look at a couple of ways that fellowship really applies to us. First of all, the word koinonia in the Greek means a sharing, a partnership, a communication, a common participation. So it's got more than just a potluck. It's got a partnership, a common participation in something. Uh, communion is another translation of it. So, <clears throat> there are some churches, independent kind of groups, I think that that call themselves the Koinonia Fellowship. It's the name of their church. Always struck me as kind of funny because that means fellowship, fellowship. Be like calling this the Church, Church. Uh, okay, koinonia is a fellowship. And when we see that word, there's a couple of different ways that it really applies to us. I think two aspects of that fellowship. And the first one is in 1 John 1 7, and lots of other places, but 1 John 1 7, pretty clear. John says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. With one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have that partnership, that communion, that common participation with one another. So, in that sense, fellowship is a state of being, it's who we are, it's where we live because we're in Christ. And we see that in a lot of ways. Just a couple of Wednesday nights ago, there was a couple here from Missouri uh, visiting, but come to Wichita to get their son settled, who was moving here. And after we got done talking, they had my cell phone number and knew that they could call if they needed anything. They'd gotten a little advice about this or that. They'd been talking to the office all day and knew what parts of town to go to and where to find apartments, and they got all kinds of help. Now, that wasn't because this is the Chamber of Commerce. Okay, They could have gone there and asked some questions. But as Christians, they went to other Christians and knew they would have this connection. They would have this common fellowship, this partnership together, and we'd help each other. And anybody that's been a Christian very long understands that. Well, you know you could go any place in this country, almost any place in this world, and if you got in some kind of trouble or needed some kind of help, you could find it from another Christian. Okay. So that's what John is talking about. We, If we're in the light, walking in the light with Jesus, we, we've got this common fellowship. We are in a state of fellowship. But Acts 2.42, if you remember what I read, said that the brand new Christians devoted themselves to fellowship. Okay, that's just a little different. We have a state of being, we are in fellowship with each other. But how do you devote yourself to fellowship? That's something you work at. That's something you do, not something you are. So, yeah, we have fellowship, but how do we devote ourselves to fellowship so well, here's where the real pop quiz kind of comes in. How do we do that? How do we do this activity? Well, one way is happening right now: One way happens on Sunday mornings of about ten o'clock. We assemble together because we have. Fellowship, we're walking in the light, and we assemble together and we partner in a number of things. And Brother Sean mentioned some of them in his talk before the communion. That There's things we do together that are because we're devoting ourselves to fellowship. We've sung a number of songs. One way of thinking about that is that we're singing praises to God. But if you actually pay attention to the words, a lot of them aren't to God. We're we're singing to each other. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Paul said in Ephesians uh, 5.19. He said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Yes, it's to the Lord, but you're singing to yourselves. That's how... One way we have fellowship. We sing songs that reinforce each other's faith. They express our faith, but we're singing it to other Christians so that their faith will be reinforced. So when we're singing, we're not just singing this song uh, to get through it, and we're not certainly not just singing it so God can hear it. We're fellowshipping. When we pray, we're fellowshipping. If we weren't fellowshipping in prayer, we could just say, okay, it's prayer time. And after two minutes, we'll ring the bell and everybody can lift their head up. But that's not how we do public prayer. We get somebody up here to lead our thoughts. And if he does that well, he addresses the things that are on the congregation's mind right then. He leads our thoughts, and we hear those things, and we assent to them, and if we want to, we can audibly assent to them. At the end of it, some people say, that's right. I agree. Amen to what he said, because I said it with him. That's fellowship. It's even clearer when we have a specific thing we're praying for. When we have a specific health request or tragedy or something going on in the body, and we say we're going to pray about this, okay, then we're really all focused on one thing. It's more intense fellowship when we pray like that. Uh, The Lord's Supper, as Sean always already pointed out, is the prime example of fellowship in the assembly. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten, verses 16 and 17. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth because they weren't doing the Lord's Supper properly. They weren't giving it the concept of fellowship that it required. And he said, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? That's fellowship. That's what the there's koinonia there. It's fellowship in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body. We all share one loaf. We all take the same bread. We participate, we fellowship, we commune with the body of Christ. And later in chapter 11... He, Paul pointed out to the Corinthians who weren't doing it without thinking about this. He said in verse 27, If you eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And then he explains what that means. It doesn't mean if you've had a sin that week. He means if you're not thinking about what you're doing. He says, So let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He says, you're supposed to discern the body in this. And I know that's the body and the blood of Christ, but if you read the whole context of what he's saying, their problem was they were doing the bread and juice In their own way, but they didn't care anything about the rest of the body. They didn't wait on some people to show up. It was more of a common meal then, and they'd get there early and have their fill, and if somebody wasn't there yet, too bad. And so Paul says, when you do this, you better discern the body. So when we have fellowship in that Lord's Supper, that, that what we do uh, when we assemble together, we need to be thinking, and a lot of times the men that uh, talk beforehand remind us of that. We're all doing this together. People all around the world are doing this together. We have fellowship in this. Okay. Another thing we do when we assemble together, I guess I ought to say we used to do when we assemble together, uh, we used to put money in a plate we used to all fellowship in giving at one time. Now we do it any time, day or night. I don't even do it anymore. My app just does it. You know, I get a note once a month. Oh, by the way, you gave some money. I said, oh yeah, I did do that. We may have lost a little something in that translation there, but... Anyhow, we do it a little different now, but the point of it is that is, in fact, the very word is fellowship, for contribution, for giving money to a cause. The word is koinonikos, which is a form of koinonia, and we fellowship in something. Uh, We have a couple of special times a year. We have a mission Sunday. We say, here's what we need to operate missions this year, and if you're interested in that, if you want to have fellowship in that, you give or pledge to the missions. We have a Know Your Bible Sunday. If you're interested in that, you give or you pledge to that, and that will support it, and you have fellowship in that ministry. Recently, we had an announcement in the bulletin that the youth group's getting ready to go to camp, and there's some kids that would like to go that... Don't have the funds. Jeff said, if you'd like to have fellowship in that, you can give a scholarship. Help some kid go to camp. We kind of understand that because different people give to different things. People that are interested, and not that anybody's not interested, but people that are most interested in the youth group uh, will give to that. fellowship in that. There are some in this audience who 35 years ago, when Know Your Bible started, uh, were some of the original donors to get Know Your Bible on the air. And they are still having fellowship in that. They have more interest in Know Your Bible than somebody that's just been here a week or two and doesn't have fellowship and Know Your Bible. Okay? See, giving is a very unique way of fellowshipping together in something. So, so we do a lot of that when we come together in, in the assembly. One other thing, let me mention, uh, we don't like to talk this way very much, but Paul, four times in his letters, said we're supposed to greet each other with a holy kiss. And I realize the CDC wouldn't approve of that, but it's what Paul says. Now, now, obviously, we have different customs today. We don't kiss like they did back then, or some cultures do today even still, but we do greet each other. Okay? Handshake is more common. The hugs are starting to become acceptable again. But Paul says Christians greet each other in a special way. It's not just like meeting a a business associate for lunch and saying, afternoon, how are you? It's different when you're a Christian. Uh, It's a special greeting that says, yes, we have fellowship. And today we've got things so easy, we probably kind of forget it. But think about those early Christians. When they got together, and they were being persecuted by the Romans or whatever, and they greeted each other, think it had a little more meaning to them? What about when a Jew who had a few years ago would have had nothing to do with a Gentile when a Gentile was converted and came into the body? And they walked into the assembly for the first time, and some Jews came up to them and greeted them with a holy kiss. That meant a little something more. Okay, That's what Paul's saying to do, is when we get together, we greet one another, along with all the other things we do in an assembly. Okay, now, one other thought about this, before we leave the assembly part of it. Uh, And this piece that I'm going to say would be very strange, not just to early Christians, but to Christians 20 years ago. They wouldn't know what I was talking about. And what I'm going to say is that the full benefits of assembly fellowship, the full benefits of fellowship assembly require assembling. 20 years ago, people would say, well, well, of course. But now, especially after the past year, we have this concept in some people's head that, well, we can worship from home. It's not really necessary to assemble. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together. Because that's where we encourage one another. Now, I I realize some people are going to take this wrong. Uh, It's happened to me before. Back in the dark days of the pandemic, when there was hardly anybody here, uh, I happened to be preaching one time, and I said that online church wasn't as good as in-person church. Well, I got some questions about that. People said, are you saying that we're not being scriptural by worshiping at home? You mean we've got to be in the building to scripturally worship? I said, no, that's not what i said. I didn't mean that at all. Sometimes online church is necessary. I just said online church isn't as good as in-person church. Because all the things we just went through, you can do it in a sense from the couch, but you can't do it in the fullest sense of fellowship. And if anybody doubts me on that, if anybody wants to argue about that, I would refer you to somebody who is shut in and can't come assemble. And they will tell you that they're very grateful for the online option. It enables them to stay connected in a way, and they appreciate it, and they like it, but not like being there. We get questions on Know Your Bible. Do I have to go to church to go to heaven? And sometimes I answer that, uh, no, you don't have to go to church because a lot of people can't go to church there's people that live in places where there are no church there are soldiers that are assigned someplace where there's no church no other christian there's people that are shut in physically or some way that they can't get out and go to church okay most of them would want to go to church if they could So the way I sometimes wrap up the answer is, is no, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, but there's a difference between can't go to church and don't want to go to church. The difference there. And the people that are asking, do I have to go to church? Usually you kind of get the feeling that I don't really want to go to church. Do I have to? If you can't go to church, God understands that. But if you can and don't want to, I'd suggest you got a problem because of all the assembly verses, all the fellowship things that happen in the assembly. Now, I don't know how you did on the pop quiz, but on this part of it, let me just tell you, you can improve your grade on the pop quiz by thinking more about this assembly thing and recognizing each other in this assembly thing and realizing that it's not just about you. It's about us. Okay? That's one way we fellowship is in the assembly. All right. Second way we uh, fellowship is in our association outside this assembly. Okay? Read Acts that passage again, let's just read verse 46. Here's what the early Christians did. Every day, they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What the early Christians did. They stayed together a lot. Okay. I don't know what their potlucks looked like for sure. I guess they couldn't eat out that often like we can. They probably practice a lot more home hospitality, but they got together. They ate together. They associated together. Read a quote the other day, and looking at this fellowship thing, Uh, a fellow said this about assembly or association and assemblies. He said, meaningful worship. And meaningful meals are critical uh, to any church. One doesn't work well without the other. Listen to this. Never trust a Christian fellowship where Christians regularly worship together but don't like to eat together. Or where they eat together but neglect worshiping. The first time I read that, I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And then the more I thought about it, you know, I think he's got something there. The reason I think he's got something there is because in our early travels when I worked in the business world, uh, we were sent to a state in the far northeast where the church was very weak. And we finally tracked down where the Church of Christ met. And we went up to the second floor in a rented room in an office building and found them. And there were only about seven of them. Very small group. One family and a grandmother who brought some grandkids, and that was about it. So after a little while, well, first we had Sunday morning service with them, and then I asked the guy that was kind of in charge, I said, what time do you come back tonight? And he looked at me like I was kind of crazy. You know, no, we don't come back tonight. I said, oh, okay, well, how about Wednesday night? No, 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 we don't do that. Said okay, so after a few weeks, Cindy invited this family over to dinner. Well, they came. They didn't really seem to like it. Okay, they didn't seem too happy about it, and they never returned the invite. They wanted to do church for an hour on Sunday morning. They didn't want to fellowship. So when I read this quote, there's something wrong there. Okay? Now, we have a lot more opportunities. Of course, actually, that's a bad argument. When you got hardly any opportunities, that's when you really ought to fellowship. Okay? But they didn't want to. Okay. So in our associating with others. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a meal, like that guy said, but getting together at other times, I think, is essential to fellowship. And that's one reason that our elders have said as a goal this year, one of their uh, emphases, is to have more people participate in small groups. Okay? Because that gets you to fellowship with people. That gets you some accountability, some encouragement, some agape love, some help if you need it. Small groups are good for that. Not the only way, but it's a way. And small groups are not just, well, fellowship's different than friendship. I think we need to understand that. Fellowship among Christians is different from friendship. It has a spiritual part to it. Uh, And a small group should have a spiritual part to it. Uh, A small group can be just some of your closest friends. Then you get together and you eat and you talk about baseball and what's going on in the world, the Olympics and the weather, and, and all that's okay. And a lot of that's real good. But if that's all there is, I don't think it's Christian fellowship in the truest sense of the meaning. Uh, Associating with other Christians should have a spiritual component to it. Uh, We started a small group back during the uh, dark days of the pandemic where we weren't having services and all that. We invited people that lived right around us that were close, and, and we got to have a small group together, and it took us a few weeks to kind of get used to each other. But after a while, people started, as we studied the Bible for a little while, people started to say, I've always wondered about this. And here's what that has a meaning to me in my life. And, you know, after a few weeks, I had a lot better fellowship with the people in that small group than I did before. Oh, I saw them every Sunday here at assembly. I said, good morning, how you doing? Good to see you, all that. But I didn't have fellowship. So that association, that time together, and once again, I don't know how you did in this on your pop quiz, but you can improve your grade by devoting yourself. To figuring out how to associate with somebody. Uh, Get in a small group. Find a small group. Invite someone over to lunch. Uh, Eat out together. Uh, The word means partner up. Partner up with somebody. Over the years, Cindy and I have done a thing that we've recommended before. We we call it Guess Who's Coming to Get Dinner. And we we get another couple. And the four of us uh, meet together once a month, but each couple invites another couple that they don't know. Okay. Well, every month you meet four new people. Okay. Uh, it's a way to promote fellowship. There's a whole bunch of other ways to do it, but uh, assembly is one thing. Association outside of the assembly is something else, and both are necessary to true Christian fellowship. All right, let me close with one more thought here. Uh, Since I interrupted Toby's series on contagious Christianity, uh, let's tie it into that a little bit. He's been talking about being evangelistic. He's been talking about ways to influence others and share Christ with people in your lives. If you read Acts 2, verse 42 through 47 again, you'll see that that's a way. The first part of it says that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread, and they got together all the time in the temple courts, and they ate together in each other's homes, and they did all of that. And then toward the end of it, it says they had favor with all the people. People were watching this. People said there's something different about those folks. They kind of like love each other. They're kind of like in partnership with each other. They have a different kind of friendship than the world does. And then the last verse of that passage says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, That's one way to attract the world is to practice Real Christianity, Christian fellowship. People noticed in the first century they were attracted. In this increasingly lonely and isolated world, I think there's something even more attractive about Christian fellowship. It's not just good for us, it's good for the world. So hope study of fellowship helped us a little bit in our Christian walk. If you're here this morning and have some public need, we're going to invite you to let us know about that. We're going to stand and sing, and the elders will be at the back. If you need to speak to one of them about anything, go back there and find one. Let's stand and sing.